throughout uh, my time in ministry, I've had the opportunity to uh, have, I guess, take some different personality tests. And uh, they've all been conclusive that I do have a personality. So... <laughs> Just in case any of you are wondering about that, uh, it is true. Now, not all of them have agreed with one another what that personality might be. And throughout my uh, ministry, be probably because of where I was in life at, the, at that moment or where I was in ministry, they've kind of changed a little bit. Uh, for example, the first personality test that I remember taking um, was when Carol and I were in our first assignment in Cuba, Illinois. And we took a personality test that focused your personality and said you were based on different animals. Now, this is, it was a Christian test. It was through Gary Smalley. And uh, it categorized you in these different animals. Either you were the beaver, the otter, a lion, or a golden retriever. Now, Carol is the otter. She, the otters are the life of the party, right? They are the fun ones. They are the networkers. They have tons of people around them. They are creative. They're talkative. Yeah. How, how many people would say that you are probably an otter? That's probably your, okay. A lot of people here. I am the golden retriever. The golden retriever is uh, characterized that they are loyal, nurturing, loving, encouraging, the otters would tell you, hey, trust me, this is going to be okay. It's going to be fun. Let's do this, right? The golden retriever would say, time out. Uh, let's evaluate this for a little moment, for a moment here. And for the most part, I think that describes Carol and I pretty well. Uh, there are facets of us that differ from those uh, two descriptions. And I've also had the opportunity more recently to take the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. Maybe you have taken those. And instead of four different animals, it divides you into 16 different types of personality. Um, and it assigns different uh, letters based on your personality. I am an INFP, which means that I am introverted. It means that I use my intuition to gather information. I make decisions based on my feelings and, and I tend to go with the flow instead of having an orderly system around me. And people with my personal personality type tend to gratify or grata, uh, gravitate to careers that are, you would need good communication skills where they're required to get to know people, usually not tons of people, but a few people on a, a deeper basis. And um, you like to understand what makes people tick, those kind of things. INFPs are usually found in the arts, in education, in healthcare and in the clergy. And so I think that's pretty close, right? Uh, but my personality type is also known for starting things and not finishing them. Which is why when we moved into our house about five years ago, there are still projects that we started that are not finished yet. And that's just me, Carol. Sorry, can't do anything about it, just me. If an I... INFP had a prayer for their life, it would probably sound something like this, Lord, help me to finish what I say, a squirrel. <laughs> that would be our prayer. On the other hand, up in our, our sound booth up there is Pastor Jake Smith. Pastor Jake is an INTJ. 
People with his personalities, are, they are more technical. They are more logical. They are opinionated in a good way. They are more methodical. And so aren't you glad that God raised up somebody like Pastor Jake and put him in the perfect career for his uh, attention span and his attention to detail? God knew exactly what he was doing. Amen? So if... Uh, Pastor Jake had a prayer for his life. It might be like this, Lord, help me to be open to other people's ideas as wrong as they probably are. <laughs> Thumbs up, Pastor Jake. Thumbs up. All right. So the point of all this is that God has made all of us different, yet all of us are similar. Uh, we perceive the, the world around us differently. We react to it very differently. If life becomes difficult, then Pastor Jake is most likely going to respond to that difficulty different than I respond to it. It's not that one of us is wrong. It's just that we are different. And God has made us that way, right? He didn't uh, make a mistake with us. Pastor Jake was not a mistake. Thumbs up, Pastor Jake, you're not a mistake. Uh, and he's had this variety with his creation since the beginning of time, right? He makes the animal kingdom completely different as well. So, for example, he has placed in some animals, their reaction to danger would be completely different than something else's reaction. Uh, the opossum, the possum is when faced with a predator would lie down and play dead. So basically the possum is saying, hey, don't bother killing me. I'm already dead. Just leave me alone, right? I have a video of a possum for you. It's kind of slightly terrifying, um, especially what you see this lady do. They feel so weird. Yeah, because he's you not. Tell you're not dead, boy, because you're curling your tail. <laughs> That's what they do. This is the only thing Colt warm about him. Hey, hey. Yep, you just wiggled your mouth. You're good. They lay down and play dead, and some people are absolutely stupid, like that lady right there, and they. <laughs> They touch it and play with danger. But uh, some animals, when they are faced with danger, make them, they puff themselves up, right? And they try to look bigger than what they actually are. There is a beetle, this one here. That one. It's called the bombardier beetle. And this beetle will emit a stinging, foul-smelling, acidic substance from its backside when something enters into its habitat that shouldn't be there, which ironically is the same way that teenagers respond to that as well. <laughs> not just teens, not just teens. So when we become uncomfortable with our reality, some of us like to puff ourselves up and make ourselves bigger than what we actually are. We like to pretend like there's nothing wrong, right? Or we might make up this story uh, to make our circumstance seem more palatable for us. 
some of us go immediately go into hiding and we just don't want to deal with it anymore. Either way, we have become an actor in our own life. And back in biblical times, in the time of Jesus and before, uh, the theater was very important in their society, in their civilization. And so the Greeks and the Romans were known for constructing these very large and elaborate amphitheaters. And so some of them would seat over 25,000 people at one time. And to give you just a an idea of just how big that is. Our Peoria Civic Center seats 11,000 people. So in, back in ancient biblical times were theaters that sat over twice what our uh, Civic Center will seat. And so the actors there, they would put on these elaborate costumes and their makeup and their props, uh, all to make it seem more believable that they were someone that they were not. And that actor would use his skills in order to get you to believe in that character. And so go ahead and write this down in your notes. The actor in Greek was called a hypocrite. It's the same word, obviously, that we get our word hypocrite. Just an actor. Although our, their word didn't hold the same negative connotations with our word today, they're essentially both of them were people pretending to be someone that they're not. And so in biblical times, that, that actor may uh, have used this physical mask, an actual mask to change their appearance, to go from one character to another. Uh, but today we may use spiritual masks or an emotional mask or a mental mask. And each of them is designed to hide the person that we actually are underneath. So whether it's some physical mask that we might put on at, at Halloween, or maybe it's an imaginary mask intended to hide our real self, both are designed so that the person that is seeing us is guessing who is the real person underneath. See, the person on stage pretending to be someone else, the, the person seated in your pew pretending to be someone they're not, both are considered hypocrites. In the truest sense of the word, both of them are hiding behind a mask. See, we place this huge connotation uh, on the term hypocrite, rightfully so. Jesus spoke about the a warning for us not to be hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 6, this is in your notes. This is what Jesus said. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what you have done in secret will reward you. He goes on, he says, when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. Only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. It's like Jesus is telling his people and he's telling us today, hey, just be the real you, please. Don't, don't be like the actors on stage. Don't treat your life as if it's some sort of big performance or, or play. Put down the big bag of masks that we carry around wherever we go. He's saying, my father wants to see you for who you actually are. He wants to know you authentically. So let me see the real you. See, it seems like everywhere that Jesus went, he was constantly exposing the religious leaders of his day for their hypocrisy. He said they aren't interested in being sincere. They aren't interested in manifesting holiness in their life whatsoever. All they want is just to attract onlookers. What a bunch of hypocrites. In fact, 17 times just in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, quit being like the actors. Quit hiding behind a mask. Quit trying just to gain the approval of the crowd. Instead, learn to grow in your discernment of what God actually wants from you in your life. And then go do that. See, our values here at PFN are that we should be known, valued, and purposed. And if we come through those doors on a Sunday morning, or whether you're at home in your own house, and we come in wearing a mask, those around us, those that are seated next to us today, those that live in our house never truly know who we really are. And if they don't know who we are, how could they possibly place the right value upon us? Because our value then is based on a lie. It's based on a fabrication of our true self. Not one of these masks, not one of our masks define who we really, truly are. So let me ask you this morning, what mask is your real face? What mask would I encounter that you wear today versus if I saw you outside of church? What if in our bag of masks that we carry around is not one actual true representation of the person that we truly are? What if we have lived our life with a mask so long that we've even bought into the lie? In Hollywood, that's uh, called a method actor. It means that that actor has gotten into character so much that it's not just the time that they spent on the set or in front of the camera that they are that, that actor, but they uh, take on the persona of that actor in their life while they're filming. Uh, so off set, they are still in that character. One of the greatest examples of this is the late Heath Ledger. Maybe you might remember Heath Ledger in one of his movies, his last movie, that he played the villain, the Joker, in a Batman movie. And so his performance was incredible. In fact, he received awards for it after his death. He took on the personality of that very troubled and depraved character, the Joker. He did it on screen, but he also continued that character in his dressing room. When he went home, he was still that joker. He still became that mentally ill persona. 
Heath died of a drug overdose shortly after filming that movie. And some have speculated that the mental toll that he put himself through from becoming that psychotic character day after day after day changed his mind and his soul and he became violent and disturbed. Did he wear that mask so long that it changed who he was inside? We don't know. Have we worn masks so long that that mask has become so comfortable to us that the persona that we portray for people, the persona that we like to have everybody believe who we are has overshadowed the true self? Have we worn that mask so long that only God knows who we're intended and designed to be? If you turn with me to 2 Timothy, uh, that, that book is real near the end of the Bible. So if you just go to the very end and you thumb back a few books or so, you'll, you'll find second Timothy. Okay. Uh, the book of first and second Timothy was written by the apostle Paul and he wrote it to a guy well named Timothy, hence the name pretty original, right? So, uh, Timothy was one of Paul's helpers and, uh, Timothy was, was back where, where he lived, but Paul, during the time of the writing of his letters, was in prison. And uh, Paul had this deep affinity for Timothy. And I want you to look at the second verse here, after Paul introduces himself and how he talks to Timothy. Verse 2, he says, to Timothy, my dear son. And here's what I love about that. We don't know a whole lot about Timothy. We do know that his father was Greek, his mother was Jewish. And a lot of scholars think that Timothy's dad skipped out on the family when Timothy was young. He bailed out. Now what we do know about Timothy is that being half Greek, Gentile, and half Jewish, he lived a very divided life. The Jewish people would have rejected Timothy because they thought he was a Greek Gentile. The Greeks would, would not have received Timothy because they thought that he was a Jew. And so he would have lived in between both worlds. And so the first thing that the Apostle Paul does for Timothy is to address this identity crisis that he is going through. He says, hey, uh, you want to know who you are, Timothy? I'll tell you. You are a permanent fixture in my heart. That's exactly who you are. And Paul continues on. And he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first live in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. I love that word that the apostle Paul uses to describe Timothy's faith. He calls it sincere. That word sincere is the exact opposite word of hypocrite. Paul is basically telling him, uh, Timothy, you're no actor. Timothy, you're not a pretender. Your faith is sincere. Your faith is authentic. And it moves you to tears. And just thinking about how real your faith is, it brings joy to my life. 
And I've seen that kind of faith in your grandma. I've seen that kind of faith in your mom. And now you're to live out that authentic faith, Timothy. And so Paul wrote this letter to Timothy because he had heard that Timothy's faith might be wavering. And he wanted to bring Timothy back to the truth as quickly as he could. Timothy, you were made for so much more. Timothy, just don't be hypocritical. So Paul is saying that a person walking through life wearing a mask is a hypocrite. And so the faith of the hypocrite is insincere. In fact, you can write that down. The faith of a hypocrite is insincere. Why? Because if we are living behind a mask, we're refusing to allow others to know our true self. To those that are here on earth that are going through this journey of life with us, and we are also trying to hide our true self from God as if we're actually hiding anything from him at all. Perhaps our masks give us this false sense of security because we think that if somebody knew the real person that we are, if somebody knew our real self, then they would judge us. If they knew who we actually were, then they would shame us or they would cancel us in this culture that we live in. Perhaps we think that if we show God the real us, then he would turn his back on us and we can't begin to handle that. So what masks are we wearing? What hypocrisy might we be living? What, what part of our true self are we keeping hidden so that we can control what somebody else might think about us? There's an author, uh, his name is Steve Carter, and he writes about a few of the masks that we uh, carry around with ourselves and we like to disguise ourselves with. And as we go uh, through these, I want you to pay attention to them because one of these might describe you this morning and what you're going through internally. Could it be that you wear one of these masks? And could it be that one of these masks hides that pothole, that sinkhole that you, we've been trying so hard to hide? So write these down with me. The first one is the performer mask. Those that wear the performer mask find their, their identity in the things that they do, their achievements and their success, and they love the thrill of being noticed. I learned about the performer mask when I was back in eighth grade. Uh, my grade school wasn't known for, for sports at all. In fact, we were all always terrible in sports. Uh, we never did very good. We rarely made it to the regionals. We never made it except this one time to the sectionals. In eighth grade, the basketball team made it to the super sectionals and advanced all the way to the final game of the super sectionals. And a win in that game would have sent our team to the state finals for the very first time in school history. I don't remember much about the game, but I do remember that our team lost by just a couple points. And everybody was devastated. The whole school was devastated. And as a consolation, the school decided that they would take anybody who wanted to go to the first day of the state tournament. And I remember walking in the arena into the building and I was just amazed by all of the people that were there. I grew up in a very small town. And just seeing all of these people, many hundreds of people more than were in my entire town that showed up for a middle school basketball game amazed me. 
So we went inside and we checked the schedule to see when the team that beat us would play and who they were going to play. And to our excitement, to our thrill, we realized that they were playing the favorite team. And immediately we thought to ourselves, yes, they are going to get destroyed. (laughs) We get to see them fail. How wonderful is this going to be? We wanted nothing more than to see them get absolutely blown out of the water and destroyed. Revenge was going to be so sweet until the coach, Mr. Edwards, turned around and addressed the entire school. He heard it, turned around and he said, let me ask you, would you rather get beat by the state champions or the first one that gets eliminated? Would you rather get beat by the champions or the loser? I don't know about you, he said, but I'm rooting for the team that beat us. The game that we lost says less about us than how we carry ourselves when we walk in that arena. Mm. I'll never forget that lesson. Never forget those words. The entire self-worth of the school had wrapped ourselves up in what was going to happen in that basketball game. And if we couldn't perform as the champion, then we just wanted to see somebody else fail as well. Do we wear the mask of the performer? Do we, do we identify our, our, uh, ourselves in a large part by our achievements and our success? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what would happen if I fail? How would I feel about myself if I didn't succeed? What if somebody has superiority over me in skill? How does it make me feel to be second best? What am I going to lose if I fail? And so Paul is telling Timothy, son, get back to your sincere faith. Quit judging yourself by your performance, Timothy. Scripture does that for me often. I hope it does that for you as well. Scripture often helps me find my identity in Christ. It helps me to find my love and for me to see myself the way that God sees me. And it's not based on my successes or achievements at all. Perhaps you're hearing Jesus this morning telling you, you are more than enough, even if you don't get the win. So the next mask is, the pleaser mask. As the name implies, this person wearing the pleaser mask tends to help everyone. In fact, they sometimes see your need before you see your need. And on the surface, this sounds like a really good thing, right? We, what, <laughs> this is wonderful if we have a whole lot of pleasers around. But here's the thing about the pleaser mask. The intention is good, but the motivation to serve is flawed. It's a um, perversion of service. Those hiding behind that pleaser mask aren't helping without expecting something in return. Whether they know it consciously or maybe it's unconscious, but they're expecting something in return. The pleaser is often known as a manipulator. And so people that wear the pleaser mask uh, are fixated on helping other people solve their problem, most likely so they can avoid working on their own problem. 
See, the pleaser wants the approval of people. And often the, the pleaser is, has a wound of self-esteem. The pleaser has a wound of self-worth. And they can't make themselves happy, so they obsess on making other people happy. The pleaser might even surprise themselves by the lines that they're willing to cross so they can help someone else. Something completely off limits to them personally is well within the boundaries as long as they're helping somebody else. And the harder they act, the more that they just get to ignore their insecurities. And so Paul is telling Timothy in so many words, Timothy, don't be a pleaser. If you're trying to to please everyone, you're going to tune out what God is trying to do inside of you. And so if you're a pleaser person, you often forget that our life is directed to an audience of one, not an audience of hundreds, not an audience of millions, but to an audience of one. And trying to please everyone leads to a life of exhaustion. And some of you are there this morning. And Jesus is saying to us, keep your focus here. Keep your focus on me. An audience of one. The third mask is this, is the perfecter mask. The one that wears the perfecter mask is afraid of, of being wrong. And on the outward, outwardly, they may seem like they have it all together. Uh, some people might even envy them because they seem to be right or they're doing the right thing all the time. Yet usually the people behind the perfecter mask, or we can see behind that mask pretty easy. The perfecter is the person that has to tell you how to do everything. The perfecter is the one that will defend their answer even after they find out it was wrong. The truth is less important to them than being right. Do you know somebody that has to win every single argument? Do you know somebody that has to have the last word? Don't point to them. I know some perfectors that will totally forget what they're arguing about just to win an argument. The perfector is more concerned with self-righteousness than they are with their humility. It is often the ones that wear a perfector mask that have the highest levels of self-criticism for themselves. The perfector believes the lie that they have to have their life all together. This is exactly how Paul lived his life before he met Jesus. The pre-Jesus Paul was all about the performance, was all about the rules, was all about the expectation, was all about living a flawless life. The post-Jesus Paul dropped the mask and had that audience of him, of Jesus, and Jesus only. The next one is the power mask. Those with the power mask have this unhealthy relationship with pride. The power mask replaces the white flag. You know, the ones that we should be waving probably a lot in our life when we need help from somebody else. Instead of waving that flag, we put on the power mask. Instead of saying, I can't do this or I need help, those two sentences don't exist in the vocabulary 
of a power mask person. See, when the people wearing this mask find themselves triggered, they don't play dead. They don't play small. They build themselves up. They power up. They find a different tone. They get louder and louder and louder, right? (laughs) Those that wear the power mask often resort to negativity or insults so they can put you in your place so that they feel better about themselves. Those with the power mask make an attempt to hide their potholes. In other words, the person who is protecting uh, emotional vulnerabilities may respond to a trigger by stonewalling, by putting up their guard, by shutting down, or by using harsh words towards you. And the louder they get and the more stubborn they become, the deeper that sinkhole gets in their life. You've heard it before, that hurt people hurt people, right? And oftentimes it's the ones that are wearing the power mask that have been hurt by somebody who wore the power mask. The bullied becomes the bullied. The hurt becomes the hurtful. And the Apostle Paul is writing to his friend Timothy while he's sitting in prison. He could have very well told Timothy, Timothy, would you just go and find a whole bunch of people? Get me out of here. These stupid people have me in prison for no good reason. Let's bust out of this place, right? But he didn't. He says, Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. See, people with a power mask on don't have clear consciousness, consciousness, whatever. Yeah, they want it. They want a clear conscious, but they, they are confused on how to find it. They've looked inward instead of outward. They haven't, they've looked inside themselves instead of up to God to find it. And the last mask is this, the pretender mask. The ones with the pretender mask uh, will lie straight to your face or fear of missing out or fear of seeing, seeming insignificant to you. Hey, have you seen that new movie yet? Yeah, even if they haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. You're going to love it. Wait a second, I didn't even think the movie came out yet. Oh, it hasn't, but you know, I know somebody... Uh, you don't know them, but this person likes to get me movies uh, before they come out. And this movie's great. You're going to love it, right? See, the pretender always finds themselves in a series of untruths. And it leads them deeper and deeper and deeper into the deception. And it tightens down that pretender mask on their face. How many of you remember this guy right here? Remember him? Andre Agassi, right? Okay. Uh, when Andre, the, the tennis player, started his career, he was known for having this long flowing hair, uh, this mullet before they were popular, right? And so he had this long flowing hair, became his style. Andre Agassi became the rebel in tennis, and his image was everything. Now, what you may know, you but probably don't know about Andre is that at the age of 19, Andre Agassi started going bald. And so the hair that you see here, yeah, here, 
The hair that you see on Andre was a wig. For all those years that we saw Andre Agassi with this long flowing mullet hair that became his persona, it was a toupee. It was fake. He was supposed to be the bad boy of tennis, but he was living a lie. And he tried to become somebody that he was not. And he worried about his image so much that he would worry about what the press was going to think of him and what the public was going to think of him. And if they found out his lie, what is it going to cost them, cost him? And so one year he had made it all the way to the French Open finals. The final match is about ready to be played. And so in preparing the night before, he had to wash his toupee and it started to fall apart. And he panicked and he called his brother in and uh, asked his brother to, to help him and give him advice. And they did their best to piece it back together. And literally they glued it to his head. And the next day he went to play in the finals of the French Open. But it was during the match. He could feel his hair shifting on the top of his head. And his attention wasn't about tennis anymore. His attention was all about his image. His attention was about the fake hair on his head. His brother told him, just take it off. Who cares? In one of the breaks, his brother, just, just get rid of it. You need to win this match. But he was so concerned with his image that he didn't do it. He became so concerned with the persona that he had developed for himself that he lost touch with the reality of his situation. And he lost the French Open. See, the pretender would rather deal with people saying that their efforts were weak than allow themselves to be fully seen and known as a person with imperfections and vulnerabilities. See, Paul wanted his friend Timothy to understand the importance of sincerity. And when we drop the pretender mask, we can truly walk comfortably in our own skin. And when we're sincere, you can proclaim that whether or not you know everything, or whether or not you've experienced everything, or whether or not you've done everything, you will know that you are worthy of acceptance, not because of what you've done, but because of what's been done for you, what Christ has already done for you. So let me ask you this question. What would happen if we were to take off the mask and allow people to see who we really are. See, we fear what people would think, don't we? We fear their judgment, but we're also told that God has not given us the spirit of fear. So what would happen? Here's what could happen. They might, for the first time, see the real you. And they knew it was hiding under there somewhere. And when they see the real you being humble and being honest, they will love you even more. See, I'm not telling you that living away from the mass is going to be easy because living behind a facade is really easy. I'm promising you, though, that taking off the mask is going to be worth it. It's going to take courage. 
to talk to somebody about that mass that you've been carrying around. Andre Agassi, the next day or the next week, shaved his head bald. He was talked into it, get rid of the persona. Andre, be, be who you are. God is telling us, would you be who I created you to be? Quit putting on a mask and pretending that you're somebody that you're not. I want you to go ahead and take out um, your bulletin and in the middle of your bulletin and also your connection card. On our connection card are some next steps for us. And as I read these, if this is you, I want you just to mark these down and we'll collect these in a little bit. I've, I've enjoyed uh, being able to pray for you over the last uh, few weeks uh, that you have responded with. And so these are next steps for us today. I realize that I've been hiding behind a mask and not showing my true self. Is that you? Has the Holy Spirit revealed a mask to you today? Mark that down. Next one is, I will ask Jesus for the courage to take off the mask and live an authentic life. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying it's going to be worth it. You're going to have the courage to do it. And the last one is, I can be a safe place for others to live without their mask. I can and will leave my judgment behind. See, when your friend comes to you and talks to you about a mask that they've been wearing, they don't need your judgment. They don't want your ridicule. They just want you to be their friend. And so if any of those are you, are you I want you to, to mark that and hand that in. I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come forward. We're going to take our offering in a little bit. So uh, just a word about our offering. Obviously, uh, this is a uh, crucial time for our church. And uh, even though the the calendar year has ended. Our church year is ending in February. Our church starts a brand new year uh, financially and everything else in, uh, at the end of February, beginning of March. And it's kind of crunch time uh, for us uh, with the weather and with COVID and things. Uh, a lot of that, uh, especially the last two weeks, has been really, really low. Uh, so I just want to encourage you. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving to our church. And even though uh, it may be snowy outside or icy outside, the ministry of our church doesn't stop. And we're still uh, helping to take care of people. We're still doing ministry and uh, working with people. And so just encourage you to uh, remain faithful. Thank you for that. So let's go ahead and, and pray and uh, we'll take our offering. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you made us to be. Who you made us to be was not a mistake. Just like my personality is different than Pastor Jake's, who's different from everybody else in this room. Lord, we're different. And you made us that way. Thank you, Lord, for making us different. Lord, help us to realize that we don't need to put on a mask to hide our true self. That created around us is a body of believers, the church created around us that we get to mingle with and to live life with are people just like us who tend to wear a mask sometimes. And could it be, Lord, that if we were to take off our mask and show our true self, that that person that is by us wouldn't judge us 
wouldn't ridicule us, but would praise God because they know exactly who we are. Lord, may we be authentic to those that are around us. May we have that authenticity for you. We've never hidden anything from you. You know all about us. And yet, Lord, sometimes we still wear that mask with you. So Lord, I would ask today that you would help us to have a new freedom, that you would allow us to take off that mask and live the life that you want us to live. And knowing that we are in this all together, what a wonderful and a safe place for us to do that. For our friends that are watching at home, I encourage you today to take that mask off, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you exactly what he has created. And what he has created is good. And what he's created is perfect. Help us to find that person, Jesus. Help us to find the creation, the identity, that you made us for. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. We thank you, Lord, for working in our lives. We again pray for Paula's family, for Tom and their daughters. We ask, Lord, that you would be so very near to them this week. We thank you, Lord, for guiding us and allowing us to be the church with one another. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And we thank you for this offering that we are going to receive as well. Thank you, Lord, today for the gift and especially the giver. May your blessing be upon each and every family here today. May we know, Lord, that all that we have comes from you. Jesus, you are truly good to us and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray and all of us said together, Amen. Our ushers are going to collect our offering. I want to, if you would open up to the middle part of your bulletin in this blue page here, I just want to bring your attention to some different things. Today we have our, our again, our Sunday school classes. If you want to continue this conversation, uh, today the sermon remix is not going to be uh, taught by Cheryl Sherwood. She's at home. Her and John can have their, their own uh, Sunday school there at home. Uh, talk about the sermon all you want, guys. And uh, But uh, Carol, my wife, Carol Etock, is going to be leading sermon remix today at, at 1030. Uh, it's also on Wednesday night uh, with Pastor Callie at 645 if you'd like to join her. Um, we have our other two Sunday school classes that are starting. You see those. But above that, I mentioned this last week, there are different places to find online counseling help. Uh, there are different places here uh, in the Peoria area, Antioch Christian Counseling, John Day Christian Counseling are, two, are just a couple uh, that we would recommend. All these are ones that we're just giving for your information. It's not necessarily what we're endorsing them, but just letting you know that they exist out there. If you also would like any in-person support groups, even though they are not here in person in our church, we want to offer these to you. These are not, uh, just because they're at a different church doesn't mean it's their ministry, it's just happening at their church. 
So Celebrate Recovery is offered in a couple different places here in, in Pekin and in Morton. Or Grief Share. Grief Share is, is designed to help you through a loss. It could be a loss of a spouse. It could be a loss of a job. Anything where you are experiencing grief in your life, uh, that that would be a great place to be with other, other people that are experiencing it just like you are. Love all of you guys. Thank you for being here with us today. Have an incredible day and be Jesus to those that you come into contact with. Have a great day.